You're listening to a Richwood Church podcast. You know, there are a number of ways that we can go out and try to improve our lives. And we're coming up on the first of the year. We make our New Year's resolutions. By February, we realize they were all huge mistakes. But we can set out to exercise and we can eat right, we want to get better friends, or finish that degree we've always wanted. And many times these things move the needle maybe a little bit. But this morning, I want to offer you something that will bury the needle. Because I want you to have more than just life improvement. I want you to know that you're loved. I want you to know that you belong. I want you to know that your eternity is secure. And there's only one place to find a life that is off the charts, and that's through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's why we've been focused on this idea, if you look at that book, that Jesus is more than a story, because he brings so much more to the table, and you can never fit it in a storybook. And at Advent, we've learned that He is the eternal King. We've learned that He is the creator of everything. That He's God, that He was sinless as He walked on this earth. And today we're going to add another aspect in His humanity that sets up this kind of mind-blowing, needle-dashing miracle. It's the kind of miracle that causes the powers of darkness just to crawl back in their holes. It's the kind of miracle that makes foolish the wisdom of the world. And it's so miraculous that it requires faith to believe it. So this morning, I'm calling you to faith, calling you to believe. I'm calling you to a new life that is made possible because of this miracle that happened in Bethlehem when God became man. And it's the kind of miracle that can change your life if you let it. So please let it. And come to your Bibles now, if you would, and we're going to turn back into the Old Testament this morning to the book of Isaiah, and we're going to begin in verse 9, and if you didn't bring a Bible, you can just use one of the Bibles that are located in the seat back in front of you, Isaiah 9, beginning in verse 6 today, page 573 in the Bibles that we supply here for you. You can also go to the Ridgewood app, and you can just click on media and then study guide to today's date. So Isaiah 9, beginning in verse 6. So this morning we're going to look at a prophecy that was written some 700 years before Christ was born in Bethlehem. It's about a baby who is so much more than a story. It's about our future. It's about an amazing miracle that can change your life. And so let's look at it together, beginning in verse 6. For to us, a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, 
everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Verse 7. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Now that's really, really good news. And it comes from the pen of the prophet Isaiah, who is often referred to as the messianic prophet, meaning that much of his prophecy was about the coming Messiah who Israel was waiting for. And if you look at verse 6 here, the us, in as a child is born to us, is the people of Israel. The child, of course, is the God-man, Son of God, Jesus Christ. And the passage provides a wonderful glimpse into the various aspects of who Jesus really is. But it also is such a glue to what we believe about the incarnation. So I want to define incarnation for you because it's a term we use a lot and it's new to some. And so now I hope this definition doesn't confuse you more. I'll explain it to you. The, it's the eternal second person of the Trinity that's the Son of God, not lesser in importance, but we usually say Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So the eternal second person of the Trinity who took on humanity in the person of Jesus Christ. That's the incarnation. And one of the passages in the Bible that makes it a little bit cleaner is in John 1.14 when John says the Word, who is Jesus Christ, became flesh. Jesus became flesh. And literally, in the Greek, that's the infleshing of the Son of God. So there's this melding of humanity and divinity, and that's the miracle. That Jesus became flesh. That's the miracle that can change your life. This isn't a a 50-50 proposition either. It's not like you had, well, we're going to take part of that divinity and we're going to stick it in here with part of that humanity and we're going to kind of mix it all together and make Jesus. It's really remarkable. It's 100% of each. He's 100% God, 100% man, and it's vitally important to our doctrine of Christianity because it's this 100% divinity that allowed him to walk as a sinless person. It's this 100% humanity that allowed him to be the substitute for the human race, the representative of the human race. So when he went to the cross, he could die for the sins of the human race. So this is vital doctrine, 100%, 100%. And that's what we celebrate. That's, that's what Christmas is all about. That's what happened in Bethlehem. And his Messiahship is also confirmed here with the words, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And that phrase, figuratively, refers to the the robe that Messiah will put on as king. So you can picture Isaiah here, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writing sacred scripture. He's viewing Messiah. He knows he's the king. And so he says, yes, one way I can can describe this to my Jewish audience is he's going to wear the robe that kings wear. And that's who Jesus is. Jesus is a king. 
This is such good news because at this time, in Isaiah's time, government officials really governed poorly. And I, I think it's fair to say there are times, maybe theoretically, that in America we aren't always ruled very well. But there will come a time when this Jesus will come and he will govern righteously and with justice and with peace. So instead of getting mad at our government, we can worship Jesus because he's going to bring this new kind of government with him. And that can change your life. And it's not some kind of an impersonal idea either. He, he brings all of this power, but he brings love for you. He brings a sense of wanting you to be near him and, and to be his child. And so you can revel in these attributes of Jesus that we're going to run through right now. He became flesh. But these titles for Christ here are breathtaking. And so... Here, Isaiah helps us to understand his godhood. And the first that he, his title that he uses here is Wonderful Counselor. And that means that the God-man is a distinguished teacher. And here's where I got that terminology. The term in the original language for wonderful would be translated exceptional or distinguished. And he is a counselor that people will listen to. He provides wisdom beyond any capabilities that we have as human beings. And when you come into relationship with Jesus Christ, you have an opportunity to tap in to this divine wisdom. I often pray in the mornings that, Lord, I need wisdom far beyond my own human capabilities because I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to offer. And so you got to help me. And I'm I'm tapping into something more than just going to a guru of, of humankind who can't help me at all. But Jesus can help a lot. And James 1.5 tells us that when we go to him, it's there for us. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. This is what's available through the wonderful counselor. And so what you can do is you can tap into this divine flow of wisdom and you can avoid many of the pratfalls and the pit that people fall into because of their lust for power and money and sex. And this wisdom can guide you around that to where you want to go. But if you try to do it on your own, you're going to fall right into that hole. This is what's offered through Jesus Christ. And he is so much more than a story. He is so much more than that. I, I just feel badly that our culture has limited him to being like the, you know, the, the baby sitting in a nativity scene. And that's what most people will, you know, after Christmas on, on Thursday, they're going to be right off to New Year's. This is our chance. This is our chance. To tell them that he's more than a story. So he's a wonderful counselor. He brings wisdom. Secondly, Isaiah refers to him as mighty God. And so the God-man is truly and fully God. And this is another important doctrine. 
that we need to hold to as believers. And some have mistakenly chalked this title up to this kind of godlike marvel hero. But that's not at all what Isaiah had in mind. In the chapter ahead, in Isaiah 10, 21, he uses this term mighty God. And in 10, 20, he translates it within this phrase, the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. So unmistakably, what Isaiah is telling us here and telling his Jewish audience is that Jesus is the one true God of Israel, Yahweh, the I Am. That's what Jesus really is. Now, it's shocking enough to our culture, think if you were talking to people waiting for Messiah, but it's truth. And Isaiah paints it very clearly here. And so the incarnation made it possible for this holy and mighty God to walk on earth and to remain sinless and go forth to the cross. And and this is why it's so important that when we preach Bethlehem, when we preach the the birth of the child, we we, we must preach the cross because the two are, are interwoven. He came to go to the cross. He came to save the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And in order to do that, there had to be this meshing of divinity and humanity. And the power that comes with him is amazing. I mean, think what he did in his earthly ministry. He he healed the sick. He raised the dead. He did miracles. He changed water into wine. He refuted the religious leaders of the day. And when they wanted to kill him, he just disappeared until he was ready to die. And this is the same power that's available to you and me because of the incarnation, because of what happened at Bethlehem. And there has never been and there never will be anyone like him, ever. And and this idea of being fully God and counselor and, and all of this, it's all wrapped in this human body that he's still wearing today because he ascended in his resurrection body. So I believe that one day... Because I've listened to the song, imagine, I know all about heaven now. Imagine that one day we'll be able to touch him like Thomas did. And we'll be able to look at him and see the scars. And we'll know that we're looking at the suffering lamb. And what a joyful moment that will be. And so we're looking at God himself, the wonderful counselor. And then Isaiah goes on to say he is everlasting father. And and what he's getting at here is the God-man is a benevolent protector of his children. And I love this part of Jesus because Isaiah's not referring to his relationship with his son in the Trinity. He's not saying it's father-son. What he's referring to here is that he is a protective father over his children. And so when we think of Jesus we, we don't have to think of him being past or even him being future, but of him being present in our lives, of him caring for us, of him entering into our deepest sorrow and our fear, of him 
entering into our grief and our depression, of him entering into our anxiety, to our abuse, and saying, I've been there. You know what it's like to be hung on a cross where people could spit on me and touch me and see me when I was naked. He knows. He's the Father. But he's also everlasting. And so Isaiah is pounding home this idea of his eternality and, and that he will never, ever end. And, and, and Isaiah, in my, his mind here, is thinking about the time when Jesus will, will reign on the throne of David. And the throne of David is this idea of God made the promise to the patriarchs and through that line of Abraham all the way to David and through David all the way to the throne of Israel, it's Jesus. He's in the line and descendant of David. And, I, and Isaiah knows this and he's thinking about this. And if we see this in, in, in 2 Samuel seven 16, we'll understand better. He said, and your house and your kingdom, he says to David, shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever, meaning Jesus will one day reign on his rightful throne. And at that point, he will reign justly and righteously. You know, we get all wound up in politics and we get all upset and we let our lives be driven by what's happening in the beltway. But the truth of the matter is, is that dictators and presidents and congresspeople and mayors, and they're, they're, they're all going to come and go. Some of you are going like, I hope it's soon, but they're all going to come and go. But not Jesus not the baby born in Bethlehem. His story is an eternal story. His reign is an eternal reign. That's why you can't stick it in a storybook. I mean, even the Bible only tells us what we need to know. Remember at the end of John's gospel when he said, man, there's so much more I'd like to put in here if I had time. That's the Paul Johnson message paraphrase. There's so much more to Jesus than we could ever put in a book. And so his reign will last forever, but the amazing thing about being a Christian, the amazing thing about being a follower of Christ is that our reign with him will last forever. If we look at Revelation 26, Revelation, the last book of the Bible, it's the consummation of all things. It's talking about Jesus and what will be like for Jesus and for us. And it says, blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and they will reign with him for a thousand years. That's the millennial reign of Christ. That's his earthly reign. That's when he will reign justly and with peace over the earth. And guess what? We'll be reigning with him if you're a follower of Christ. So not only in God's mercy did he say, listen, I'll let you be there. I'll let you be there. And for me, he's saying, you're in because of the blood of Christ, but you're not a very good Christian, so you're over there with the carpenters for all of eternity. And you can listen to carpenters' music. Oh, you guys like the carpenters, don't you? Yeah, you're going to be over with Bon Jovi. I'm going to be over here with the carpenters. He's not just saying that. He's saying, you're going to reign with Christ. And you're going to receive 
an inheritance that is the kingdom of Christ. He's going to share his inheritance with us. What an amazing thought. And so as we're grinding through life and, and we're struggling and we're dealing with all of our stuff like finances and our friends that are disappointing us and health and, and all of these things that bog us down, we can always look ahead to what's so much greater. And this has been the hope of the Christian for 2,000 years. That next step, being with Jesus forever. And that's why the incarnation can change your life because it changes your perspective. All of a sudden, the temporal, the now, isn't quite as important because we know there's something better. And that little trailer you saw for the next series in 1 Peter, one of the reasons I wanted to go there next is because of that beautiful hope of the inheritance and the beautiful hope that we have within our trials that they're all for good. And God is creating something out of them. So Jesus is this God-man, but he's also a distinguished teacher. He's full of wisdom. He's an eternal father. And then here's a, here's a title that we desperately need. He's the Prince of Peace. The God-man will bring peace to the earth. Boy, we really need that, don't we? We so desperately need Jesus to come. And there have been many nights when, when terrorism is happening or things are happening in my own family and I'm just saying, Lord, please come. Lord, we, we, we need your peace. We need you to come and, and, and steady all of this. And you know, we as Christians, we, we, we should always pray for peace and, and we should always desire peace and we should be peacemakers. But we can also know that there will not be true peace until Jesus is reigning on his rightful throne. And only, only God knows when that will be, but it will happen. And so we can look forward to that day with hope. And even as our, our current world is letting us down and politicians are letting us down, we can know that Jesus is coming to reign. That's a beautiful thing. And it will lead to an eternity where there is no grief, crying. And I want to show you this in verse 7 now. I want you to look, at it again, look there again with me because this all leads into the eternity with Christ. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. That means it's all accomplished by God. The zeal of the Lord of hosts makes all of this happen. Not the effort of Israel, not the faithfulness of Israel, because Israel was unfaithful. Not our effort and our faithfulness, because we are unfaithful. But God has promised. So it will happen. God's purposes are ongoing. He will never back off his purpose. And he has a purpose that one day Jesus will reign and we will reign with him and we will see his kingdom come. And that was the hope for Israel. That's the hope for us. And so it is God that makes salvation possible because we are 
incapable of reaching out to God. We, we're, we're part of the fall. We're, we're depraved. We're, we're fallen. Jeremiah says our hearts are wicked. And so our, even every faculty we have is fallen. But God in his mercy reached out and said, I love you. I will reach down into your fallenness. And I will save you if you would just believe. If you just believe. And so Jesus brings this light to the world through the incarnation. And, and when this happened, when, when these two aspects combined, I mean, it must have sent thunderbolts through the cosmos. And now here we are in the church age with an ability to look at Jesus who he really is and see that he is this mighty God and full of wisdom and full of peace and our loving Father. And so the truth isn't for others and I want to challenge you with this question today and that is the truth of the incarnation can change my life and I want you to be thinking about how it can change your life life. Now there are a number of ways, you know, as I, as I mentioned earlier, that you could go out there and you could just say, man, I'm going to make this better. And you know what? We can, we can do good things. You know, we can, we can learn discipline. We can learn exercise. We can learn to eat better. We can learn to be better with people. But ultimately, it's not going to solve the basic issue, which is a fallen heart. Only Jesus can solve that problem. And so, as we look to our fallenness, we see that joining some church and just committing to be a part of it isn't going to be enough. You're not going to find the satisfaction and the peace that you're after by just trying to do it yourself, by trying to be a better person. Because, you know, it's like if there's a mile between you and God and, and you can barely see over there and there's God and here's you, you might take a step. There's still going to be a mile between you and God. It's God that reaches across for you and pulls you to himself. So I want to really challenge you today to think about who Jesus is to you. And I want you to think of this eternal melding of God and man. And I want you to think about the fact that through belief in him, you can know that you're loved. You can know that your future is secure. You can be a part of the family of God. And man, it's really imperfect. But it's beautiful. And the way the family of God cares for each other, the way the family of God interacts with each other, how God has made the church to be so unique. And so, in order to do this, all it takes is belief. It doesn't take church attendance or church catechisms. It takes belief. Belief that He is the God-man. That, that He is who He says that He is. Belief in His mission, which was to come and, and, and free you from the ravages of sin and death, and the wrath of God that is aimed at sin. You can access Jesus by repenting of your sin, by, by, by personalizing it and knowing that I have a sin problem and I need to be forgiven and that Jesus will forgive you because he went to the cross 
and he dealt with the calamity of sin. Then, you're a child of God. You're a child of God. And and I know, it's, it's a mystery. And so many people don't want to make this decision because they feel like they're not doing enough. Well, that doesn't sound right. I, I had a three-hour plane ride with a guy once who kept saying, what kind of liberal theology is that? It's called the gospel. And it's free because the price has already been paid by Jesus. And then your life can change. God begins to change you. You, you begin to, to have a purpose and a hope and you you begin to see old habits fall away. And so many people come to me and they say, you know, I just became a Christian and I I don't swear as much anymore. Well, that's the beginning of that process of becoming more like Jesus. But let me tell you one thing. This isn't a popular decision. And it's not an easy decision. And people pay a price for this decision. But it's the right decision because you're standing on the side of truth. It saves you from sin. It ushers you into heaven with Christ. It changes your whole life. I know it changed mine radically. And so as I look at that book and I see those words there more than a story, I think about my own life and I I think, wow, I'm so glad because... That saved me from myself in the direction I was going. And so what are you waiting for? Now is the time to finally give yourself to Jesus. And and fellow Christian, let me talk to you for just a moment. What are you waiting for? What, What is stopping you from fully submitting to Him? What is it in yourself that you want to hold on to I just saw this quote from Oswald Chambers this morning. It's so profound. He said, belief must come from the will to believe. There must be a surrender of the will, not a surrender to a persuasive or powerful argument. I must deliberately step out, placing my faith in God and in His truth. And I must place no confidence in my own works, but only in God. Trusting in my own mental understanding becomes a hindrance to complete trust in God, I must be willing to ignore and leave my feelings behind. I must will to believe. But this can never be accomplished without my forceful, determined effort to separate myself from my old ways of looking at things. I must surrender myself completely to God. So fellow Christian, what are you waiting for to do that? Why aren't you telling your, your friends and your relatives, and the people at work or at school, because they don't need religion, they need Jesus. They don't need to live better, they need Jesus. And so on Tuesday night, you have a golden opportunity to just bring your friends here. Invite them to come. They'll enjoy themselves, but more importantly, I promise you, to the best of my ability, I will make Jesus clear to them. And I will give them the gospel. And so there are steps you can take to make this happen. And then, 
we can all watch lives change. We can watch the Holy Spirit work and we can walk away with joy knowing that we encountered God. Just like we encountered God in Bethlehem when God became man, the incarnation happened and it's a miracle that changed everything. So will you just take a moment and Put your stuff away and just pray and think about, God, what is it that you want me to do? What can I give you? And if it's, if it's for the first time you want to give yourself to God and become a Christian, you say, I, I need help. I want to serve you. Forgive me for not doing this. And, and he will save you. It's an amazing thing. So will you take a minute and do that? And then I will close in prayer. Thank you for joining us on the Ridgewood Church Podcast. We encourage you to receive the message that was just given and let the Lord do a mighty work in and through you. For more information on how to connect, give to this ministry, or for more faith-based resources, visit us at myrwc.org.